0: Profitable private practice. Hi there, and welcome to Therapy for Your Money. This is a really special week for me. Uh, My book, Profit First for Therapists, is launching on May 2nd, which is very, very exciting. So, by the time this episode airs, I will be just really busy with all the fun things surrounding the book launch. And so, I thought that it would be really fun to have a replay of a previous episode today. So today's episode is a replay of episode 13, which was on season one, and it is my interview with Mike Michalowicz. Mike wrote the original book, Profit First, and so at the time I recorded this interview, this was in 2020, I hadn't even started uh, writing Profit First for therapists. So I was in discussion with him, uh, but I had not committed to it yet, and it was all kind of a dream, something that was happening behind the scenes. So here is that original interview with Mike. Obviously, you know, I'm a huge fan of the Profit First system because it works so well. I wrote Profit First for Therapists, not because Mike's original Profit First book wasn't great, because it really is. It's just that I was having so many clients come to me and say, I love Profit First, I've read the book and I want to to implement, I just don't understand how to do it in my therapy practice. And so that's where Profit First for Therapists was born. So it takes this amazing system and it just customizes it specifically for private practice. If you haven't already purchase your own copy, I would be honored if you would consider ordering a copy wherever you buy books. You might also want to read the, the Kindle version, or you can also purchase it on Audible as well. Without further ado, here is my interview with Mike. Mike, welcome to the podcast.
1: Julie, it's awesome to be here. Thanks for doing this.
0: Yeah, so you are the author, obviously, of Profit First and many, many other of my, some of my favorite business books, Fix This Next, Pumpkin Plan, Clockwork, and the list goes on and on and on.
1: Yeah, well, that's the intention. I, I'm actually writing another book right now as we speak. It's due to my publisher this month, and um, it's about marketing. So. Yeah, the the list goes on and on, and I will continue to make it go on and on
0: to add to the list. There yeah.
1: you go. My my therapist, by the way, uh, diagnosed me, and she said, "Oh, I think you have hypomania," and I do, which is uh, someone who just cannot stop doing. Like I get I get very <laughs> uncomfortable being static, and she's like, "Oh, that that's hypomania for sure." So I, I own that term now. I'm a hypomaniac.
0: <laughs> well, if the result of that means that we keep getting these great business books, I bring think it right. There's a greater good out there.
1: There is. It's tough for my family when they want to sit down and watch a movie. Like 15 <laughs> minutes into it, I just like I, I'm like I start shaking. I'm like, do we have to watch this much that much longer? Unless it's Terminator 2. For whatever reason, that movie I can see the whole way through without moving an inch.
0: But that's a, that's an interesting little tidbit about you. Yeah. Um, so Mike, I've heard you say so many times that your mission in life is to eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. Yeah. I'm curious, how did you find that path?
1: So, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I've discovered coincidentally through a therapist I, who is who I was interviewing for, how we make decisions and choose pathways and she explained that there's a common scenario where there's these big t's little t's and c's big t's are big trauma events that she goes, can become a defining moment where we say i'll never allow that to happen to myself or anyone else again small t's are drip traumas you get picked on in grade school or high school or your parents raise you poorly or whatever and it, it results in a stance and the c she says the childhood dream this this unfulfilled yearning and you make that moment saying i am going to do this for me, it was it was a trauma around finances. I, I had grown a couple companies. I sold them. I thought I was a hot potato, and uh, I just thought so much of myself. Well, my next company I was a disaster. I lost everything. It was painful, but also necessary to hopefully tear out that arrogance. And uh, it also welcomed me to I really didn't understand finances or managing time or or so many elements of what entrepreneurs. Thirst. You know, we start a business to be of service to others, uh, to experience financial freedom, to um, to experience time freedom, personal freedom, to do what we want when we want. But for myself and so many people, that never manifests. And that's when it became clear to me through my trauma that I must fix this for me and others. So every book I've written, admittedly in in a big way, is actually serving my own needs. I'm trying to figure out solutions for my own challenges, things I don't understand. And that's eradicating entrepreneurial poverty collectively. As the term I came up with.
0: Well, I, um, I'm thankful for that. So tell us about the basic pro- principles of profit first, because I've implemented it in my business. We, my team and I, we are profit first professionals. We help a lot of, um, practice owners implement it. But for someone who's never heard of profit first, can you give us the, the, the broad lines?
1: Yeah, I'll start off with a pretty kind of, uh, eye-opening um, a summary I heard from I can't remember who said this, but this guy was talking to me. He goes, you know, when one person says something stupid, um, it's stupid. When fifty thousand <laughs> people say it, it's still stupid. Like the quantity of people saying something doesn't make something unstupid. stupid um, And we've been told relentlessly, regardless of your business training, if you had any, or if it's just it's business exposure, or books you've read, or just talking with friends, that sales minus expenses equals profit. We repeat it over and over again. And uh, I'm here to say that's stupid. Not that it's not logical. I understand for our business to make money, you have to have sales, you incur expenses to support your business. And what's left over is profit. It's a logical equation. Here's the stupid part. When profit comes last, it is our behavior to consider it last. That's true for any consideration. So if I say, you know what, I don't care about my health, that, that means I'm putting a last, or, you know, I don't like those people. I, I put them last on my list. Last is something you delay or avoid. And profit has now entered the, the vernacular we use. We call it the bottom line, the year end. All these things say, consider profit at some future point. And therefore, it never happens. It's the perpetual mañana syndrome. So in profit first, we flip the formula. It's sales minus profit equals expenses. And what I mean in execution is every time revenue comes in to your practice, you know a patient pays their bill. The insurance company submits that claim and makes a payment on it. You subtract a predetermined percentage as profit. You hide it away from your business and you run your business off the remainder. This is the pay yourself first principle applied to business. Effectively, when you take your profit first, when you allocate that, your business will tell you what's really available to operate the business and will adjust accordingly. That's the profit first process.
0: Yeah. And I, I get the question often of, well, if I take the profit first, how will I know there's enough left for everything else? And you use the, um, the toothpaste, uh, yeah, to, toothpaste. Yeah. Analogy, yeah. Uh, where you say like, you're, you, if you have only a little bit of toothpaste left, you're going to squeeze that sucker and get everything you can out of it. And it's kind of it, the same principle applies when there's less money left for expenses. You're going to figure out how to w- make it work with less, right?
1: Yeah, so there was this, I think he was a behavioralist named Parkinson. Northcote Parkinson was his name. And this guy is from like the 50s or something when Northcote was a popular name, apparently. And he's studying human behavior. It was really around time utilization, but it translates to all resources. What he explained is that if you, say you and I are negotiating a contract and you say, Mike, I'd like to get a contract from you. And I say, I'll get to in one week the time be been defined. It will likely take me a week to get the contract to you. But if you and I, the same people, discuss the same parameters for the same contract, but the variable change is the amount of time, and I say I'll get to you in one day, I'll likely get to you in one day. What Northcote Parkinson explained is as time gets compressed, we become more efficient in its utilization. That's why, you know, back in the college days, most people are like, I'm so good at cramming because everyone's good at cramming. When there's <laughs> less time, there's this anxiousness to, to get things done. But it isn't just around time, it's around money, it's around any resource. What's so interesting, and you'll see this in your business, as more money flows into your business, as you increase revenue, it seems like almost uncannily, the expenses are increasing at the exact same rate. Like there's some superior force monitoring your bills and, uh, or your income, and then dropping bills in your pocket just as that income comes in. Well, the superior force is Parkinson's law. This behavior to extract or use all the resources available to us. So what we do with Profit First is we put you into that college cram mode. We take out your Profit First hide away. So now you don't have all the money that's coming into your business available. You have a portion of it, less supply. What Parkinson's research research advanced was the consideration of innovation. When there's less available of something, we become more innovative. We find shortcuts. We find workarounds. um, We just become innovative. So the interesting thing is when you have less money, you don't get less results. You find, you know, I need to get new technology. I'll, I'll buy used equipment or there's some business going out of business and they're just giving away their stuff. I'll use used furniture. You, you find that, you know, instead of hiring full-time people, maybe I can bring on part-timers or, or, or outsource to virtual help or something like that. But we find ways to get the same results. And this isn't just theoretically. I'm very happy, honored, proud to report that we have 350,000, actually more than 350,000 companies. Have successfully implemented profit first. We have thousands and thousands of case studies, and what we see is that none of them say, "My gosh, I didn't have enough money to operate my business." They consistently say, "Wow, I found a new way to operate my business, and I'm getting the same or better results. The business doesn't get compromised."
0: Yeah, and I found that um, that's it. there's a higher likelihood of success when there's a gradual start to, to the implementation where it's not all of a sudden I have 0% profit. I'm going to go to 15% tomorrow. That tends to be really hard because that big of a swing is really hard to the operation. But when it's a gradual process, it works like magic.
1: Yeah, start slow and let it grow. We've got to win our own mindset over to this. When people hear of profit first, which is setting up multiple accounts at your bank, you're going to put money in there. The logical resistance, and I get it, is skepticism. People are like, well, listen, if a hundred dollars comes in, and I carve it up into five accounts of $20, it's still a hundred dollars. Yeah. How's this gonna work? I felt that way. I actually did it for myself out of desperation. I needed something to fix my own misunderstandings around finances, but it's not a shell game. It's a behavioral system. When we pre-allocate money to its intended use, we then know how to use the money. But if we go into your point full throttle and just say, okay, I'm gonna start doing this. It is such an abrupt shift to how we used to do things it's very uncomfortable and we fail. It's like if if you you know, if you haven't exercised in 10 years and you say, I'm gonna to go to the gym again and my first day, I'm gonna run a marathon on that treadmill, like your legs are gonna fall off. <laughs> don't, don't do yeah, it. It's just don't not do it. Like, let's, let's learn how to stretch a little bit and go for a, a mile walk at most. We gotta build that muscle and we have to build the mental muscle around profitability. So the successful implementations inevitably. We'll start with low profit percentages, whatever their historical profit was, which realistically for many businesses is zero. And they add a little bit, they start allocating one or 2% of the income toward profit. But then over time that 2% becomes five and seven and 15, 16, 18, and they grow over time as they become stronger, healthier fiscally.
0: Yeah. And so what do you think, what is uh, one of the most misunderstood pieces of profit first?
1: Uh, it's, hands down is the concept of, I call it the behavioral intercept, meaning the system needs to be set up where you naturally go at your bank. And so what many people believe is, oh, I'm going to allocate money to these different accounts for different purposes. I'll just do it on a spreadsheet or I'll just do it mm-hmm. in my accounting system, which circumvents their natural path. I'll give you an example. Uh, I wanted to exercise i've always exercised throughout my entire life but it's been very sporadic except for the last seven years seven years ago i said i'm never going to miss again but how do i do this so i started observing my own pattern and what i do is i wake up in the morning go to the bathroom go grab a cup of coffee start reading you know the internet news or whatever and then i was like oh my gosh i'm late for work and i missed yet another workout well when i rewound the steps i said i'd wake up in the morning i go to the bathroom oh I'm gonna put my sneakers on top of the toilet seat in the bathroom, (laughs) because the only way I can now use the bathroom is by grabbing my sneakers. And when they're in my hand, I'll put them on my feet and it starts the momentum. That is what I call a behavioral intercept. I look at a pattern and I put something that I cannot avoid in the path. And therefore my behavior modifies, or the results at least modify without changing who I am. What I found is most business owners are told by accounting professionals Read your balance sheet and cash flow statement, all these overwhelming documents. And what we really do is we log into our bank account and measure what's there. If we have money, we can spend it. If we don't, we panic. Yes. Therefore, if our natural path, if our first step is to go to our bank and log into our bank system, we need this there because now it intercepts us. So these multiple accounts are set up at our bank. We then allocate the money into its different envelopes or I call them plates, but Different categories, and now before you spend a dime, you know what each dime is intended for. It intercepts that path.
0: And I find that the mental barrier too of just if there's not enough money in that opex account, having to go in and make that transfer from the profit to the opex account—that's usually enough to stop someone in their tracks and say, "Do I really, really need to do this?" Because you're basically taking it away from from yourself. So just adding that one step has a big mental effect. Um, Yes. As well. Yes.
1: It, what's interesting? There's a few things that sound peculiar, but uh, therapists will get it, but the, you know, the, the common person probably wouldn't. Uh, the the most frequent email I get of appreciation or gratitude from readers, and I'm so blessed to get so many, is actually during tax time, which is I never expected that. I, I thought it would be when the profit distributions come out, and people are excited about that because their business is profitable. But it's actually at tax time. They say, "Oh my God, I've been allocating taxes." per the profit first system. And my company paid my tax bill. I feel such relief. This is amazing. And people are so excited about it. Well, there's a thing called loss aversion. If, if, if you gave me $10 and then you said, here's $10, Mike, oh, uh, you owe me three back. It, it feels great to get the $10. I'm like, I have to return some of this, like what's going on. And that's the feeling of, of taxes. You know, We collect money and then the government's like, give us a little bit. And we're like, oh, that's my money. But this system circumvents you ever receiving in the first place. So instead of you giving me ten, I give you three back. You just give me seven. Say here's seven dollars. Enjoy it any way you want. Even though the net dollar amount's the same, the fact that there's no return, which causes loss aversion, I feel great. So since the business reserves the taxes on behalf of the business owners and pays the taxes directly, it becomes celebratory. So it's just it's interesting that how uh, how much we run our business numbers off of emotion and behavior and that's, that's how we humans are um, yet we think that logic is superior but we actually just need to cater to our behaviors
0: that's a great observation and i so i would second that i also thought the um profit distributions would be most popular but where we get the most like size of relief for short by far tax time right? where our clients like forgot you know we tell them how much they owe they forgot that they had the tax account. So we tell yeah, them, hey, yeah. by the way, there's more than enough in your tax account over here. And they're like, oh my gosh, I forgot that we did that. And it's oh and it's been there. They have access to it, obviously. But yeah, but you just don't
1: pay attention. You right? just don't
0: pay, you stop paying attention and it's just this thing that's growing. Um, and then if there's extra, then you get a bonus, which is right. amazing. Too. And that's how
1: it feels like it's a bonus. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm getting a refund from my business. This is amazing. Right. It's What's so interesting is when we take out the money in drips. So what happens with, with tax time is often the, oh, shit moment. How much do I owe? How am I going to get this? Well, the business now is allocating small portions every time there's a transaction. So you don't feel like you're getting your soul ripped out of you. It's just a little <laughs> small amount of money. You actually don't even miss it. But the money then accumulates on the side. And when that tax bill comes and you, they hear how much they owe. First, was like, I owe, oh, my God. And then you hear, but the business has us covered. And there's this immediate relief and excitement. Um, so I wish I wish actually governments would do this too. They would do the profit first system, they would run so much more effectively, I think.
0: Oh my gosh, that would be something, wouldn't it?
1: Yeah, that would be something.
0: Um, so what would you say to a practice owner that, that's got a bunch of excuses why profit first won't work for them? Like um, they're too small or they're growing too fast yeah. or whatever it may be.
1: So there's a label for that. It's called being a human being that's, <laughs> t- that's totally a normal response. I was not a believer myself. Again, I did this out of desperation. I, I had lost all my money. I was in such a bad spot. I started just to, to test out ideas, the pay yourself first principle I heard about the envelope system from you know, the yesteryear. Mm-hmm. So he, here's the most common excuses. Uh, I'm just starting my business. I'm too small it's too early. It's in fact that earlier you start, mm-hmm. the sooner you start a better behavior. In fact, it's brand new businesses that can be most aggressive with profit first because the sure. business doesn't know better. So it's interesting. New businesses actually are usually most successful. Uh, another common resistance I hear is, well, I'm not profitable now. I have to wait to become profitable before I can take my profit first. And that's not true either. The way to become profitable is to start extracting because what will reveal itself is where you're unnecessarily spending money, where you have more commonly what's called margin problems. You're not charging enough for what you do. But you'll never discover that if you're just skating by. Profit first exposes the weaknesses in your business that you need to address. That's why I say profit first talks to you. When you start taking a profit first, it becomes very apparent where your problems are. And if if you don't take profit first, those problems will present themselves usually at the very terminal end of your business. When you're overwhelmed with debt, you have nothing to do that you can do except for shut it down. This forces that hard conversation in before you're ever jeopardized. And then The other resistance I hear is, well, I don't want to go to the bank. It's a pain in the ass. I'll have to reconcile so much information. Yeah, it's going to be an hour out of your entire life of going to the bank and setting it up. I understand it's kind of a pain for that one day, but the rest of your life will be served. So we just got to get our butt to the bank and get it set up. In in regards to the reconciliations, we have so many case studies of this. Some people say, but now there's money flowing all over and I'm allocating. It's going to be a reconciling nightmare. Actually, it makes it more efficient. The vast majority of accounts have just a modicum of transfers. We move a little bit here and a little bit there on a periodic basis. So it happens so infrequently, reconciling is very quick. We now have one account, called the OPEX account, that has the majority of transactions. And since the OPEX has one single purpose, to pay the bills for continuity of your business, you know the intended use of that money in advance, it's actually easier to reconcile. Before, when everything goes in in one one account, uh, another account, it gets all glommed together. That actually causes more confusion when it comes to reconciling. So that is actually more efficient too.
0: I agree. And and when everything is in the OPEX account, it's also really easy to see where the money is going, right? Because it's not mixed in a bunch of personal payments and all that other stuff. And so it's easier to control those expenses too. That's right. Um, Okay. Mike, I want to be respectful of your time. Um, I ask all my guests, what's your favorite business book that you did not write and why?
1: (laughs) Yeah. I I don't even know if mine would be my favorite. That that sounds very egotistical. I'm proud (laughs) of my books. I think you should be because profit
0: first (laughs) comes up often in that Yeah, You
1: know, I I can give you some like kind of generic ones I love. So purple cow by Seth Godin. I loved, um, uh, uh, influenced by Robert Saldini. But you know, here's a couple of ones you probably don't haven't heard of that I think are great business books. Uh, there's one called The 101010 10, 10 Rule by Susie Welsh. Susie Welsh was married to a fellow named Jack Welsh. He was the CEO of GE. He subsequently has passed away. Her book is phenomenal. It is a very simple strategy to manage decision making. Um, Another book you probably never heard of is called 100 Days of Rejection, or maybe it was called Rejection Proof. Actually, it was Rejection Proof by a fellow named Jia Jiang. And he he set out, he's a very introverted guy, very afraid of rejection. He set out to be rejected at higher and higher levels for 100 days to learn how to build uh, callousness, if you will, toward rejection. And it's his journey. It's fascinating. So those are two books I'd recommend.
0: All right. I will check those out. Thank you so much for that. Well, thank you for joining us today. We appreciate your time. And uh, if you, everyone, if you have not read it yet, go order Profit First. It's an amazing book. It's going to give you a great uh, framework for running your business. And if you need help with implementing, we'd love to help you as Profit First professionals. If you're looking for accounting help, head over to therapyforyourmoney.com accounting to find information about my accounting firm and all of our specialized services just for private practice owners. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love for you to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Just head over to iTunes, click on ratings and reviews, and give us a quick shout-out. We really appreciate it.
1: The information contained in this podcast represents the host and guest's general opinions and should not be construed as personalized accounting and tax advice. Listeners should consider all facts and circumstances before applying this information and seek appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. Any info provided does not constitute accounting, tax or legal advice.